17k. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> it's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Thursday. Is it Thursday? Thursday afternoon. Yeah, the Eagles game. The bad Eagles loss is kind of throwing me off this week. Thursday afternoon. Uh, a very special guest uh, joining the program this time. You know, we've done a hundred. 119 episodes, and I don't know why I haven't had him on the show before, but it's the head coach of the Philadelphia Union, Jim Curtin. Jim, what's going on? Thanks for having me, Kev. Good to be on. That's yeah, of course. That's a lot of episodes. You've been working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it's um, it's weird because I have this kind of policy where I don't I don't really have like current players on the show because they, they have enough. They do enough media as it is, and like there's never really anything. You know, it's got to kind of be sanitized. You know, like really, what what how how hard am I going to go at like Mark McKenzie and what what can I pull pull out of him? You know, but. Uh, no, I don't know why I didn't. I didn't have you on sooner. I should have had you on sooner. So, uh, sorry about that. But thanks for joining. Um, <laughs> so, look, let's get the. Let's. I only have like one negative thing. Let's get the negative out of the way right away, and then we can do all positive. All right. Um, hindsight. Yeah, the playoff loss, New England Revolution. It's been a, what a week, a week and a half. You know, now now looking back at that, um, just your thoughts on that game and kind of how the how the season came to an end. Yeah, look, it it hurts. Uh, you know, the, the season only ends perfect for, for one team. Um, you know, we set ourselves up um, in a really positive spot to have home field throughout where we had been pretty good Although, in a home field this year is certainly uh, different than in past years um, with, with uh, the coronavirus. But, you know, having a week to think on it, um, you know, a, a lot of little variables play into it. And again, I don't want them to come off as excuses. So I'll start by saying New England was better than us on the day. So I can see that I'm, I'm, I'm a realist. I think you've known me long enough. And, um, you know, we got the better of them in the previous five games. Um, but in all those games, the margins were really, really small. So, you know, when I think back on the year, um, we had two bad performances. We had FC Dallas in week one where we weren't ourselves and we had the New England Revolution in the playoffs. So um, while it's disappointing and, and you know, we, we missed a big opportunity, um, you know, those were the two games where we weren't us. And, and what I mean by us is, again, those that have watched the team, um, you know, grow and improve through the years, um, you know, we're a, a team that you know, our margins are, are still very, very small. Um, and and the, the thing that made us great all season was, you know, all 11 guys, you know, didn't have to play great, but everybody had to be really good for us to have a chance to win. Um, you know, and, and on the day, coaching staff, players, everybody was a little bit off. Um, and and you, you, you sprinkle in, you know, New England getting Carlos Gill going at the, at the right time. Um, you know, they had, had him in some of the previous matchups, at least at full strength um, and in full fitness. Um, they had a little more momentum than us and, and have played recently. They had confidence. Um, we had a pretty long layoff that, you know, you look back on and could we have done things differently? I, I, I don't know if we could have. You know, we, we had an inter-squad game. We were limited in the fact that we couldn't uh, – get live action against other teams just because of the, the restrictions and the protocols. Um, so we did the best we could. Um, but, you know, when they scored the first goal on us, uh, there was a moment where you could feel, you know, everybody kind of looked around and said, we haven't been down a goal in this stadium this year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so it was yeah, new. yeah. And then I think that was on everybody's mind. Um, and oftentimes in soccer, I think we've all been there and, and at every level of the game, if you get stuck on, on what just happened, uh, the next bad thing happens. And it, it kind of dominoed from there. And they scored the second goal. Um, and now, now it becomes an uphill battle. Um, we still pushed and, and had a, a chance or two. But overall, um, like I said, I, 
I know I just went through things that, that sound like excuses, but I, I do preface it by saying New England outplayed us. Um, we did not get the job done. It hurts. It really, really does hurt. Um, but there'll still be things we learn from from it now as we move forward. And, and uh, you know, again, a lot of good things happen in those in between uh, in between those those two bad performances that we had on the year. But in, in one off competition, that's what I would conclude with in, in one off games in the playoffs. Um, you know, anything can happen. And uh, you're seeing that now as, as New England stays hot uh, through the playoffs. So, it's again, it's a d- difficult loss. Uh, you know, one, I've apologized already to the fans for not having the guys ready to go. Um, so it stings, um, but it, it'll motivate us now to be better in, in 2021. You know that we in the media tend to try to affix, uh, you know, footnotes to games or look for storylines yeah. that maybe you guys don't. And one of the things that's always popular is like, you know, when you lose to a team in the playoffs, you want that team to go as far as possible because it somehow like justifies your loss to them or something. But the, the number one, I would ask if you're a believer in that. But number two, it kind of works both ways because you took a lot of points off New England in the regular season to win the Shield. So yeah. in, a, in a weird way, does that justify at all the, the, the quality of the Shield based on, you know, if they go further in the, in the playoffs, you know, they're a better team? Yeah, look, uh, the way, Kev, uh, that I, I feel is, look – nothing can justify our performance. You know what I mean? We weren't good enough in the, in the game. So we got beat. That's the one thing that maybe other coaches won't, won't come out and say and admit, but I'll come out and say we got beat on the day um, and, and did not deserve to advance. Um, you know, as you do look back at the other games, though, if we, if we don't take all the points that we did against them, you know, we don't win the shield. So there's, there is a give take. And in soccer, um, the, the uniqueness of, of soccer is that you know, look, we have multiple tr- trophies that we play for in championships each year. And even if some American team in, in the USA wins the treble, which has never happened, they win the Open Cup, the Supporter Shield, and MLS Cup, there'll still be pundits that'll say, yeah, but what do they do in the Champions League? So there's always like a next thing. Yeah, where yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah. a little more finality to a regular season yeah. in the NFL with the Super Bowl, you know, uh, Major League Baseball with the World Series. And it's hard It's hard to get, like, the average, like, four-for-four four person who doesn't know what the hell the supporters' shield actually is, you know, yeah, so. It's, it's tricky, and it's confusing, and, and uh, again, I think as, as our as our sport grows and everybody becomes more educated, they'll understand the different nuances that, that also make soccer cool and unique, and, and even, you know, a team like Bayern Munich can, can win their league can win their their uh, league cup, but then gets beaten in the Champions League, and the se- whole season's a failure. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It, it's crazy. So the, yeah. the as a good analogy, the goalposts are always going to move. You know, as our team had more and more success this year, and you go, shoot, we're going to have home field advantage throughout. We're the number one team in the league. You 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 then have the expectations shift as they should. You know, and, yeah. and yeah. we should make a run, um, and and we didn't this time. So. Uh, again, we ran into probably the wrong team at the wrong time, you know, also, because again, uh, trust me, I was pulling for Miami as good as they are and as talented as they are just to see a new <laughs> face, you know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. careful to wish for Gonzalo Higuain, <laughs> you'd be careful yeah. to wish for that, but at the same yeah, time, it yeah. would have been would have been different. Um, you know, again, it was unique season in a lot of ways. Um, there were positives, but, you know, that game will still, it'll sting for a, for a long time, as it always does when, when the season ends. Yeah. No, it's funny because I remember when we did that show, I did that show with Heather Mitz for the website like seven years ago or something. I remember talking to her and she was like, you know, the NWSRs, the WPS schedule back then is like, you know, the independents had to play like sky blue like eight times in one season, yeah. you know, just because there, there weren't a lot of teams. There. But it was difficult because you're like, how do you how do you beat a team yeah. that many times in one season? I, I want to this. This isn't really a question, but I just 
the familiarity part is huge too because yeah like, yeah it look is. at each game bruce bruce tried a new completely new tactic and, <laughs> and then finally the the last one worked where now buchanan's going to become like the best right back in our league yeah <laughs> you know? I, I yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's um it's part of the game no it was it was fascinating from that standpoint i i um this isn't really this isn't even a a question it's just a statement that I would like your reaction to you know, the last two guests that I had on here I had Weeby on and I had Matt Ralph on and it's funny because people were fascinated with this like topic of the asterisk with the shield right yeah and like I, th- I think the funny thing about it is that, like I think people have this idea that like because you put an asterisk on something means that it means that it means less and that's yeah. not that's not my that's not my indi- indication of it at all I think it just means that the, ach- the achievement is not necessarily lesser it's just a different kind of achievement you know, yeah, because yeah. because you guys are going, if you look at what you have to go through with the off the field stuff with COVID and the bubble and putting your families at risk and stuff like that, the achievement is not any less than what you would normally have to do. It's just kind of categorized differently. I would agree. And then the, the word I would, I've, I've used and I, I will continue to use is, I agree, it's not better or worse. It, it is unique, though. We can't deny mm-hmm. that. That's what that asterisk does. It makes you look back and say, what happened that year? And then people go, oh, yeah, 2020. We were on a lockdown. Oh yeah, we played in a we played in a bubble. Oh yeah, we, yeah. we didn't see our family members for a year. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of things off the field and on that that affected this season. So, um, look, I'm not going to come out and say this year it was harder because I think that's unfair to the other coaches who went through a lot of difficult things. Also, you know, the guys in yeah. Toronto having to play in the states. So, I don't want to minimize anybody else's uh, difficulty. But we know what, how hard it was. Um, for our group and our locker room and the training days out in, in Delaware at, at Kirkwood, Kirkwood <laughs> you know, like it feels like forever ago, but those, yeah. are, those yeah. are real hurdles to go through. And uh, I, in a weird way for a team like us, where again, it, we don't have maybe the superstar, I think it actually bonded us and it made us stronger. So again, we, we, we took it as an advantage and, and we ran with it. Um, we won a trophy. Uh, and then, you know, everybody's going to have their own interpretation of, of what it means. Is it less? Is it more? Um, and that's fine. That's what makes sports great. And that's what that's what starts barroom discussions over yeah. beers. And that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, yeah it's like, do the, uh, the guys from the baseball steroids era deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? You know, I, Pete, Pete, Pete Rose, we talk about a, that forever. There's a million. There's a million of them. We could go through for hours. And, and like, again... Yeah. The, the 50 greatest basketball players of all time. This is my favorite one. <laughs> George Mikan is listed in that. George Mikan is, of course, revolutionary and amazing, but you or yeah. me right now would beat George Mikan in one-on-one basketball. <laughs> that doesn't mean we're 50 – we're in the top 50, you know what I mean, like of yeah, all time. Yeah, yeah. So again, yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all relative. It, it matters, uh, you know, context and, and, and the years that players played. So you can go through and, and have these debates, but that's what, again, makes sports great. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good Philly sports talk radio topic. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll broach that with my new, my new best friend, Mike Missanelli. Maybe he can, he and I can talk about that the next time on. Which like brings Mike are going at it. That's good, Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear, did you, did you, um, were you um, aware that we kind of accidentally blew up his show with union, union fans that one night? Well, I think it was, it, I, I occasionally will turn on the TV version to, uh, at, at my at my house and then, yeah and, and I'll just be background noise and and uh, the one day I did a double take because he was wearing a Union jersey and I, was <laughs> like, and I think a day or two later is when you and him went at it so that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah it's funny though because I've I've heard him name drop Giorgio Canaglia and uh, Franz Beckenbauer so I think there might actually be a soccer fan like way deep deep, deep down there somewhere I just don't think you're allowed to admit it when you work on the on the radio but. Uh, <laughs> That segues me perfectly into the next question because, uh, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast, 
um, you know, the idea, the idea of the union's place in town and media coverage and whatnot. You did a nice little media tour after you guys won the Shield. Yeah. Um, you know, you've been doing more with the radio shows and stuff like that. Uh, I, do, do, you, do you feel at all like a tangible, uh, like meaningful shift in, in how the team is, is perceived among the more, you know, what we would call like the, the four for four type of fan? Absolutely. Um, and look, it's a credit to the work that our front office does, our marketing department. Um, you know, they make the most out of, of every dollar that they have um, growing the union uh, throughout uh, the tri-state area, really. Um, so again, is it is it perfect? Are we on the same level as those teams yet? No, but I'll tell you what, the amount of people that, that talked about seeing the billboards of our best 11 guys and Andre Blake and they're, you're, they're on 95 and they almost crashed their car because my ugly face is up there with winning coach of the year. So yeah. it's much more of a presence um, and it is really, really cool to see. I always think the best uh, litmus test is what are kids wearing around the neighborhood? I still go back to this, man. And again, it's less Flyers jerseys. Uh, it's still Sixers. You know, there's still the, you still see the Joel Embiid and the Ben Simmons for sure. Yeah. Uh, and look, it's an Eagles town. When the Eagles are the best team, that's, that's, what, that's what drives things. But baseball's struggling a little bit. I'm seeing a lot of soccer jerseys in general and then also specifically union jerseys. Um, you see Brendan Aronson jerseys. And, and, and the, the request that I get from kids now is, can you get me an autographed Blake jersey or a Bedoya or a, or a McKenzie or Aronson? And, and, you know, you get recognized a lot more at the na- in the neighborhood. You're, you have yeah. coffee and people are able to talk about the game, um, not just like win or lose kind of comments. It's more like more specific and nuanced to what the game actually looked like. So it, it's, it's been great to watch how much it's grown. We still have a long way to go, but um, I think we've carved out uh, a really nice um, – presence that's not a niche presence anymore i think it's, yeah. it's respected as a sport i got a package yesterday from the sixers you know what i mean like oh, did they, you really? <laughs> they're, they're recognizing us as a as, oh. as a you know a, one of their own you know and, and and also the other athletes i think that's a good tell when when our players are interacting with their players and they're coming out to games and, and we're going to their games i think there's a real um growth in that that regard which has been uh really cool to watch. And again, I say it all the time. It's blown my mind how much soccer has grown in this, in this city and also in our country um, in the last, you know, five years, it's been incredible more than I ever thought in my entire lifetime, for sure. Um, again, to turn on the, the, the games in the morning and you can watch three Bundesliga games, you can watch the Italian league, you can watch English league and you can watch MLS uh, for hours and hours. I, you, you remember yeah. the days, man, you had to go to UHF channel 48 <laughs> and you might get a Sunday league, um, you know, Italian game that looked like, you know, they had uh, the fuzzy snow screen and the antenna. It was yeah, impossible. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's been awesome. No, that's great. And I, um, you know, it's interesting, right, to think that, like, you know, if you were a, a 10-year-old in 2010 and your dad took you down to uh, PPL Park to see Sebastian Latou, you know, that 10-year-old is now 20 years old. And he might, he might have a kid in five years and then that kid's good. I mean, you, you know, Philly is such a you're, – you're from here. Like, we're, we're such a – parochial and provincial town it's like we've been vacationing at the same street at ocean Ocean city for like 50 straight years you know it's it's more like i think it takes us longer to kind of you know to to warm up to new ideas and new sports and stuff like that doesn't even doesn't even mean that you necessarily dislike it it's just you have your like comfort zone you know we do that with everything here not just sports um one of the discussions that we always have i'm kind of fascinated by this we always talk about this on the podcast it's like you really there are three when you think about soccer fandom in this town there are really kind of three 
different categories of fan. Number one, it's like the Philadelphia Union person who will watch the team and appreciates the team. Yeah. The other person is, uh, you know, the Euro snob, right, who will watch Manchester United but will not, you know, talks down on MLS, right? Yeah. And, and then the third one is just the 4-for-4 four four guy who doesn't like soccer and is a, yeah. uh, you know, traditional North American sports kind of dude. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious as to what because we, we kind of discussed this in like – you know, if you were looking to kind of keep pushing and keep trying to grow it, do you think it's easier to go after the Euro guy who doesn't like MLS? Or do you think you could bring in the four for four type of fan? Which one would be more amenable to the union? Oh, man, that's a great question. So in, in a lot of my experiences, first of all, you could break down the four for four thing too, um, in the, in the almost like subcategories. Cause yeah, there are f- factions of that. Yeah. Flyers fans. I, I love them, but there's so many Flyers fans, the diehard Flyers fans actually <laughs> hope the other teams in the city fail. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that, that type. You know, yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. Yeah. So yeah. there's, there's different uh, nuances in all those, those fan bases. I think the four for four convert is, I'll just say that, Again, this is really painting with a broad brush, so I'm probably going to get in trouble, but I'll say it anyway. But the, the typical four for four diehard soccer's for wimps guy, you're not changing his mind. Um, hmm. He's going to be usually not very open minded, not very progressive, to with. new ideas. Yeah. He's the 40 year guy in Wildwood, like you mentioned already. You know, that's that's hasn't hasn't seen that there's a whole great big country out there. I'll just put it that way. That's right. That's right. I agree. <laughs> Um, so, so I think that one is like, I don't want to say don't waste your time, but it's like, oh man, we all have an uncle or a grandparent that maybe is stuck in their old ways, but you're not converting into anything that's new or, um, you know, progressive, we'll just say. Um, so I would go after the, the Euro snob and, and the coolest thing about the Euro snob is they're going to be eating their words really, really soon. As you look out and and you turn on your TV and there's more young American kids out on their own fields at Juventus and at Dortmund and at Chelsea, and and they're impacting their teams. They'll have no defense. You know what I mean? Kind of back them into a corner now where, you know, yeah, you can say we we stink in, in MLS and we can't play, but guess what? five of those kids out on the field right now were developed in MLS academies, um, got sold. And, and now they're, they're scoring big goals for you. So I think it'll be almost an organic, natural progression to convert those, those people. Um, look, and they'll still be, they'll be still, I've met a ton of, um, you know, English league or Bundesliga fans that are, that actually have a real respect for our league. Even guys that are watching it now in the wee hours of the night when MLS games come on in England, um, they're saying the standard is good. You know, there's, the games are exciting. They're crazy at times, no question, and they're chaotic, but um, it, it's it's good soccer. So I think it's gradually happening. Um, again, there's still going to be the certain type of um, – it's always Arsenal fans, but uh, <laughs> that'll, never, <laughs> that'll never respect uh, uh, anything that, that isn't um, you know, yeah, yeah. beautiful football that, that they used to play. That they used to play. play. <laughs> that's right that's right you won't find a lot of if you go to misconduct tavern at a 7 a.m on an arsenal game day you won't find a lot of uh, philadelphia union jerseys down there i would yeah, i would I agree think, with that yeah, yeah. That's okay. it's okay man i yeah. get it i get it but um yeah. we're coming i'll just say that soccer's coming in this country and, and our league's getting better and better we're not perfect but we, nah. we kind of own that we own that we're not a perfect league like it's it's fun that the crazy stuff happens in mls and you, you could turn on a uh, a playoff game and, and there could be three goals scored from the 85th minute on, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that happens also in Europe too, man. You, you, there's mm-hmm. mistakes, there's chaos at the end of games. So um, again, there's great players all over the world. 
Um, but outside of the top major leagues, MLS is, I'll just say, moving up in, in terms of, you know, where it stands and where it's looked at, um, at by the rest of the world. Yeah, it's funny. I remember when David Moyes was here with Everton. I guess that was, uh, oh, geez, I guess that was like eight or nine years ago now. Yeah, I think you, I don't think you were the head coach at the time, but I remember asking him because we ask every stupid European team that comes over here, what do you think of MLS? You know, what do you think of the product? I'm like, because fans yeah. don't really like it. And, and David Moyes just looked at me and he was like, well, it doesn't really matter what the fans think, right? Like, you know, because they have a respect for the league and they see where it's going. And that's, that's yeah. all, all that matters. And you keep grinding away and winning the, winning the war of attrition. Um, I, only have, I only have a couple more. And I want Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin Moyes, actually, he was here. He came, I think, on multiple visits. But one of them coincided no. with uh, our first Open Cup final. Uh, again, I don't want to bring that game up. but Oh, <laughs> yeah. More specific to the story, though, he came. Uh, he came in and was like, "Look, your facilities are great. Your, your standard of play is great." Oh yeah, long, yeah, yeah. He did. Long story short, he yeah. came and he said, um, "We were getting ready to have the, the training session before the day of the final." Um, you know, and I was a new young coach, and, and I think even the interim at the time. And, and he literally he gave me great advice, and he said, I, I, "This is why I like him because he's just normal and, and open and honest." He said to me. He goes, look, man, he goes, all of us coaches at some point um, have a moment where you go, how the hell did I get here? He goes, mine was, you know, <laughs> when they hired me to be the head coach of Manchester United and I was on the sidelines for the first time at Old Trafford, I literally had a moment where I looked around and, and even him, one of the greatest coaches <laughs> in that league, you know, who brought Everton, he said, how the, you know, how the hell did this happen? You know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. such a cool, humble, you know, thing that I think, everybody goes through it in some way in all of our lines of work. Um, but it was just a cool little anecdote that was, uh, you know, something from a guy who doesn't have to say that to me, you know what I mean? But he yeah, did yeah. time and he was cool. And, and uh, obviously still doing great things uh, at the highest level and, and the biggest leagues in the world. I do. Yeah. You know, I do remember that now because uh, right. Cause I remember seeing him sitting there in the box. So this is really stupid. I'll tell a story. Um, Every match before the match, what I would do is I would walk down the concourse and I would just I would walk in front of Jay and Nick's box and I would just look into the box like a weirdo, like just sort of standing there like I have my yeah. credential on. But I'm like staring at the box, just scanning for people to see like who the hell is sitting up there. Because, there, yeah. The, yeah, because there was always, you know, people would always like message you on Twitter or something and say, hey, who is this guy? Who is this guy or whatever? And I, and I just began to kind of walk down there. And yeah, David Moyes was sitting. I, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a great shout. Yeah. Um, let me just, I just got like two questions about on-field stuff. You know, it was, it was yeah. interesting to hear. I, I was, I was interested to hear Ernst talk about wanting to look for a number 10. Yeah. Um, yesterday Wednesday in the press conference because you know it was funny for like four or five years straight I felt like all that we ever asked you was like well who are you, who's your number 10 gonna be this year you know where are you gonna find the number 10 because you went from Tranquillo to yeah. uh, Christian to, to Tranquillo to Roland to uh, Borak to uh, Marco and then the, the irony of it was that you, you ended up having a lot of success with a homegrown kid a 19 year old you know uh, I mean you're playing four good. and then he did too good <laughs> and then he did too good but and you were playing four four two, which is diff the role is different in, uh -huh. in four four two also but I mean are, are you so so what, what is the philosophy with that position I mean did you feel like you you want to look elsewhere for it or do you have it in-house yeah look it, it's funny because in the in the office you know obviously we have little things that we talk about obviously but we we kind of hinted at it and called it the the rent a 10 you know we kind of did that we rented a 10 for for probably the last four or five seasons and yeah. guess what they were all in their own way uh, at different times very productive um for the group mm -hmm. and, and they were in a lot of ways really good um you know 
bargain finds uh, for guys at different points of their career um, yeah. at, at discount rates. And they, they really produce, to be honest. So, again, Chris Albright and, and Ernst deserve a ton of credit for a lot of the work that went in there. Um, it is ironic that you get, you get the number 10 in Brandon, and now um, he plays so well, so fast, um, that you can't even hold on to him, you know. And it, it's, it's like a re- it's like renting your own. T- it's still rent a ten, even though it's he's a rent a ten. <laughs> but we do have uh, we have a stable of them in house for sure. Uh, Paxton yeah. is is trained with us the last for those that don't know for the last two and a half weeks um, with our first team. Um, after a little stint he did overseas, but then COVID hit and he had to come back uh, after the the Union Two season. So we throw him right in with our group, um, and he did excellent. You know, um, is he ready to take the keys right away? You probably would hope for a, a transition year, you know what I mean, where we're not just heavily relying on him. I think it's a lot to ask of him. Um, can he do it? I think he can. Um, but is it fair to not have a, a plan B to go to at all? Uh, I think that might put a little too much burden on the kid. Uh, Anthony Fontana's kid who stepped up in, in a major way this year um, and made the most of every minute, and it's up to me. I have to find a way to get him more minutes because – um, you know, every time he stepped on the field, he did great. You know, it was just tough for him because it was a hard midfield to displace. Uh, Brendan, when he was going good, uh, Miro, Ali Bedoya. Um, so, you know, maybe even it's Anthony as a second striker. It could be a role just to get him around the goal. Um, maybe he plays underneath the uh, Sergio or underneath the Casper or Corey Burke. So we have to get unique and, and find ways to get him on the field more. Um, but certainly the the – we're going to look for a number 10. Um, the one thing we're not going to be able to replace, I don't care who we bring in, uh, is Brendan. You know, and it's not necessarily the goals and assists. I think we can replace the numbers there for sure. I think we can. But we will not be able to replace, and I'll say this publicly, the running that he did. It's, it's literally humanly impossible. Uh, and that's the thing that Jesse Marsh speaks to now. He goes, Jesus, this kid – you know, all of the metrics that we show, uh, it's incredible what he's doing in terms of running and work rate. So, and that's more important. Sorry to cut you off. I mean, yeah. that's more, that's, but I think the, the point is that that's more important when you're playing at the tip of the diamond, when you have another striker on the field, because the defensive responsibilities and the running responsibilities in that, in that role and that shape are going to be completely different than what uh, Chaco or Roland or anybody else was was asked to do exactly by the way Chaco was on tv last night in a in a CONCACAF Champions League game I stayed, oh, up, I, was like, I, I stayed up like a psychopath at uh 10 30 <laughs> at night uh and, and Madonna was coming off the bench for a team in Honduras but I just wanted to see him uh get out there so oh, that's wild that's but, cool uh, yeah, that's cool no look um with Brendan again you nailed it that tip of the diamond, you got to do a lot of, a lot of running, a lot of work. Um, so again, can we find a, a replacement um, for the, the production? I think so. Can we kind of share it with uh, Fontana chipping in? Maybe uh, Paxton steps up uh, and, and, and comes, but um, we have to find a piece in there. And that's kind of the one focus, like Ernst mentioned yesterday in the press conference that we'll look for. Um, we're not going to force it though, either. We have a nice stable of, of money right now and are set up like we've never been set up before. Um, because Brendan was so good. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. So uh, we're in a good spot. We have a deep roster, and we have to make sure that the player is the right fit um, at the right time. But I'll say it, man, we're not going to be able to replace the the work rate uh, that Brendan brought. He's doing well with the national team now. All the feedback that we're getting, he's, he's thriving there too. So it's good, man. Let's talk about um, my favorite position on the field. It's the um, position that you played professionally. I played it on Saturday mornings in Northeast Philadelphia. Um, 
Mark McKenzie, I, I kind of sometimes get carried away talking about him on this podcast because I, I absolutely love his game. Yeah. And um, I, I don't, I don't remember watching a center back season, an individual season for a center back on this team that I enjoyed uh, with, with Marks this year. It, maybe yeah. like, maybe going back to like Carlos Valdez is like first mm-hmm. year, like 2011. But um, I'm just curious as a kind of what you, I, I think the thing I like the most about his game is that he has that sort of unique ability. Like some center backs have this where you just like, you look so, calm and so yeah. in control and you have so much command and you just it clicks and um you know he just like he, he looks like he's always in second gear he never has to turn it into third gear or fourth because he's just so good at reading kind of what's yeah. happening in front of him and preventing danger before it even happens I'm just curious as to what you made of his season and his skill set and and what you think his ceiling is yeah so first I'll start and maybe I'm biased but it's it's one of the hardest positions in the league uh, to, to be very good at um, it's really hard for a young player because so much of it is angles and experience and, and the nuance mm-hmm. that goes into it. Um, and then, you know, with Mark though, specifically, uh, you know, I always talked to him. I said, look, the hardest part about being a center back is there's always something you could have done anytime there's a goal scored against you. Anytime there's any goal that is scored, the center backs could have done something different to prevent it. So in that yeah. way, it is the most thankless crappy position on the field too and, and, and you've been there uh as well where you can shut a guy down for 89 minutes and 45 seconds and kill him all game long and win every tackle and win every head ball uh and a ball could flukily bounce to him in the box and he scores a toe ball and and he's the hero and you're the worst player in the world it, it, so the position yeah it's very it's be- very easy as a center back it's very easy to look bad um, yeah. But it's kind of harder so hard to, to if you look good, everybody expects it, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's like an offensive lineman. They only talk about them when they're doing a shitty job with holding penalties. Sorry, am I allowed to curse on this? <laughs> no, you can say whatever. We drop hard f bombs on this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but but Mark now that and that's to the that that leads perfectly into it. Um, you you said it. He makes it look so effortless and easy. And his mistakes this season, when you go through all, you know, including the. MLS's back games that for whatever reason didn't count <laughs> you go back through the 28 or whatever games of tape there's almost there's very very few mistakes that he made um, yeah. could he do better sometimes with his offensive heading uh, on set pieces I, I've talked with him about that and adding that to where he's getting five goals a year all of a sudden now that price tag wherever he goes is going to go up uh, if he can improve that but defensive heading he improved a ton this year um, when you talk about now um, yeah, he plays on the left side, which is it's one of the hardest positions in the world to find right now, a left-sided center back. He's kind of morphed into a left-footed center back. You know, you mm-hmm. guys saw how many times he just can effortlessly hit a 50, 60-yard diagonal switch with that left foot and, and almost off of one step. Um, that's not easy to do, and let alone for a young kid. Sometimes you add that when you're, you're 26, 27 years old to your game. It improves, but it's not as good as how Mark's doing it now. Um, he makes it look easy too because he has something. I don't know how fast you were, but I was slow. Um, he has something that meters per second running wise, he's mm-hmm. actually hit speeds higher than even Sergio, who everyone would probably say is our fastest guy. 
Well, and this is where, and this is where I think you, you see it the most is I think one of his best abilities is, I don't know how to describe this on a podcast, but when you are trying to time, when you have a step on a defender and you're running to a 50, 50 ball and you sort of time that time, the collision to shoulder that person at the right moment, or to feel the pressure on your back uh, to sort of receive that at the perfect time to keep your balance. Like, because he's so quick to get out in front, I think he's so good at kind of timing time that and absorbing the striker on his back yeah yeah there's only two other guys I've seen that have that with what Mark has and I almost describe it the same thing you're just you're saying but I I would say it is they're as fast as they need to be however fast Mark needs to be for that individual play he will be you know what I mean yeah yeah sometimes he looks like he's jogging to get there but he's doing it in a way to set the guy up to knock him on his ass like you said to put a shoulder yeah 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 the other two guys that could do it um one I played with and one I admired so I played with Bocanegra, and Bocanegra could play against any striker he played against. He was as fast as, 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 as athletic as uh, that player. He played against sometimes slow strikers, and I'm like, Los, what the hell are you doing? Just run and get to the ball. He's like, nah, I just wanted to, you know, set the guy up a little <laughs> bit and put him, knock him on his ass, and you're just like, Jesus, yeah. it would be so fun to have that, that tool and that luxury of, of being that athletic and fast. Yeah. And then Eddie Pope yeah. was the other. Eddie Pope had a way of Eddie, yeah. no matter what, a striker he played against whether it was an MLS striker or whether it was at the world cup level against you know dealing with Figo you you watch him and he could lock down anybody so Mark has this blend of these guys and and that look that's that's as good a company as he can be in 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 our country's history um at the position so um I'm with you I I hype him up I think uh you know if you look even at our our 30 man roster and you said Jim who has the highest ceiling of of anybody Mm -hmm. um it's Mark you know, and, and I'll say that, and I think all the other guys in my locker room won't be mad at me for saying that. They'll say, yeah, he probably does because mm-hmm. uh, he has such a unique skill set. He plays a difficult position, and he plays a position right now that, look, if you have good center backs that have good feet and can defend like he can defend, it, it's, it just is something every coach in the world wants right now because uh, the defense – side of the game is getting more and more neglected as everybody wants to play like Barcelona which is a great thing it's it's beautiful to talk about but it's not easy to execute you need real talent out there (laughs) no and I was always maybe it's a center back thing but I always like kind of scoffed at Tiki Taka because I was you know because people would say like well this is the way to play the beautiful game right and I'm like well I mean not necessarily there's like beauty and physicality in a weird way and you can say what you want about Stoke City and uh, Rory DeLapp throwing the ball 40, 40 yards on a throw-in. But when Peter Crouch goes up and heads it into the net, there's a, a different kind of beautiful game in that as, as well, you know? So I, I think it's – I think Mark has a good blend of that. And um, I, is, is he left-footed or right-footed? He's because right-footed. He's right-footed. Okay, because, right-footed. because I – yeah, I had, it, I had a thing on Twitter where I pulled a clip – of him playing for the youth national team and playing like splitting two lines with a pass. And then I pulled an, uh, yeah, I pulled another one for you guys. It's, it's his, he deserves a credit on that because after practice every day, he's doing that over and over the balls through the lines on the ground, the, the, the the 60 yard diagonal in the air, he's working on that uh, every day. And I agree with your comment, man. Like there is beauty in an ugly one zero, Uh, not to keep going at the arsenal people, but, (laughs) <laughs> Let's not forget when they were good and at their best, it was Tony Adams and Sal Campbell and making the game ugly and winning one zero and going mm-hmm. undefeated. Yes, there was beautiful soccer ahead of them. And those teams yeah. were from, for me were much more fun than um, I'll just say the current current group that they have. So. Yeah. <laughs> I only have two more for you. I promise I won't keep you any longer. Um, 
we we talk a lot too about sort of like what 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 is like the threshold or what is the capacity for for homegrown players not only on, on the roster and on the field and and it's it's funny because you, I, you know we talk about like the best teams in the world you look at like the the Manchester United squad that, that, that they brought up Beckham and and Giggs and Skulls and the the, the Nevilles and Nicky Butt or whatever uh, yeah. and they were all homegrown products but you still bought like Dennis Irwin right or you look at all the guys that came through oh, La, La Masia um Lionel Messi but you still went out and bought Luis Suarez or whatever right so I mean what, what do you what, what do you think is your capacity or the threshold for how many homegrowns you can have on the field at one time or have on the roster is it realistic to look at like six or seven or, or eight of them on the field at once or is that kind of redundant you know, look no the goal is to to have a team that you know in some way shape or form is is built where the majority is homegrowns I think we're working towards that but I don't think that you can put on each year, we're going to have two guaranteed starters because then you get yourself in trouble. There's going to be great classes and there's going to be great age groups. And then there's going to be some that there's just a dip. You might only have uh, one diamond and, 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 and a really bad, you know, group below the, that one striker, call it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. You could have a year where um, there's five just really solid seven out of tens, but there's no 10 out of 10 guy. And that can be great too. So to put numbers on it is, is really tricky. And look, we have meetings on a regular monthly basis to say, you know, cause at the end of the day, it is kind of a business. It's a return on investment of these kids. And I don't want to talk about them like, like they're pieces of property because they're getting an education. They're getting so much more. Um, however, though, there is real discussions on what is the right number each year and, and where are we? And we're constantly evaluating that shifting it. It's positional based. We don't want to get stuck with um, recruiting to your point. We don't want to recruit a player from, from Europe, um, that's going to block someone that we potentially have coming in a year and a half. You know what I mean? So we're yeah, yeah. very strategic now about that. It's taken time to get it in place. Don't get me wrong. And, and we're not perfect yet. Um, but we're, we're certainly, uh, we recognize too, um, the winning part of the development is critical. You know what I mean? I don't think it's a coincidence this year that we had the season we had and we won a trophy, but we also sold a player for what's going to wind up being about 9 million bucks. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think if we're, if we're, you know, had a year like, say, uh, Cincinnati or a team that didn't have a good season, no one's coming for Brendan. You know what I mean? So that winning yeah. part yeah. is still vital to development. It's vital to our philosophy. It's vital to ultimately selling these homegrown players. So I don't want the fan base on, to think anything different than, than winning comes as priority number one. Yeah. Um, with young players, winning is a part of development. So um, the, the number, look, I, I aspire to have eight, eight of them out there, 10 of them out there at a time. I also recognize that's not completely realistic yet. You know what I mean? Uh, we can work towards it and, and we're going to fight like heck to have that happen. Um, but, you know, look, right now we could field a competitive team, you know, with some of the youngsters that are coming through. Quinn Sullivan, uh, you know, is coming. You know, Paxton Aronson is coming. Uh, Brandon Craig is coming. You know, like, uh, Nathan Harriels did well in training with the first team. So it's not out of the question where we could put a full team out there uh, of homegrowns and they could compete in MLS. Uh, would they win a title right now? No, they wouldn't. But could they win a, or draw a game for us in the course of a season? I think they could. I think as now four or five years go by, we might have a team that could, could get into the bottom, you know, the bottom seat of the playoffs. You know what I mean? But ultimately mm-hmm. we're moving it forward just like the teams move forward from – from sixth to third to first. And then our challenge, Kev, is going to be staying here. Like, what do we do next year to, yeah. to impress the fans and keep them happy and keep them coming back? Because it's going to be difficult, you know, to, 
to be the Supporter Shield winner. Now um, the, the bar gets raised and people are going to say um, they're going to hold us to that standard. And that's a pressure that I think is good for the club, but it's, it's a real one. And, and again, uh, our margin for error is, is small. Uh, so we got to get, get some things right in the offseason and each player and the environment we create has to be pushing us better and better. And then those homegrowns, when they sprinkle in, um, the, the biggest thing with them, man, is they're so ingrained in our culture and, 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 and you know, used to what is asked of them at, at all levels. Um, they make the coach sleep easy at night. Uh, we'll aspire to produce the next Clint Dempsey or, or Polisic or Christian Polisic, but if we get that good, solid seven out of ten guy, I love that as well. Um, there, there's a real place for them, uh, and it's important important piece to being successful in MLS. That's a perfect segue into the last one that I have for you. So this year, you you make two big checks. You, you check off two huge things. Yeah. You win the you win the first trophy in franchise history. You bring a player homegrown through the academy and sell him to Europe for nine million dollars. We were something along those lines, right? So what, what what's the next like benchmark what's the next like goal to to eclipse or to achieve is it just sustainability is there something else the board the it written down on a wall somewhere what's kind of the next hey we've made it to the next level based on us doing x yeah look um it, one thing that well I, i'll start with becoming a, a perennial playoff team is is important so a team that's consistently in the playoffs uh, are we perfect at that yet I think we're in the playoff picture you know pretty consistently now whatever however many out of the last five years I think we're, we're getting towards that where you can look at us and say we're not quite Seattle that it's 12 years in a row but mm-hmm. you know when people say Philadelphia Union it's going to it's more now thinking of it used to be like the, the thinking used to be you know they're not going to make the playoffs and now it's at least when they get in the playoffs, what are they going to do? And do we need to do more now in the playoffs? Absolutely, we do. That's got to be something that goes up. So there's one for you that needs to improve. I do think the consistency of, of yes, we sold our first player. Um, and it was a build, too. People forget we sold Derek Jones in league for a nice chunk of money. You know what I mean? Like a little. Yeah, that's some true. Of are, yeah. Some of them, they're little and they're not um, observed, but it was a build into to Brendan. Oh, and Austin, Austin, too, as well. Austin, yeah. Austin, we got a good chunk. So um, they're still really good players and effective players that played this year again. So yeah. um, everyone's not going to be Brendan. Um, so, but I do think now, I think to consistently sell, uh, call it a, a player to, or two players a year to Europe so that that cash flow is coming in, uh, I really think it's important. You know, a big step for us will be, when teams in Europe start to look at us as a Red Bull Salzburg type, you know what I mean? Um, right. Or as a, um, you know, a, an Ajax from back in, in our day when me and you were growing up, as like <laughs> that's where young talent really goes. I know it still yeah. does. You know yeah. what I mean? That was a new concept. It was different. Yeah. 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 So, so we want, we want to be looked at globally as that team. Um, and then, you know, I think another one is, as the academy, you know, training wheels come off of this, the, the DA and the development well, the development academy is gone, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. The, the academy system in mm-hmm. our country, we want every young kid to go. I don't want to go to Atlanta. I don't want to go to LAFC. I don't want to go to Toronto. I don't want to go to the galaxy. I want to play for the union because I'm going to be on the field. I'm going to play minutes. I'm going to be able to start. <laughs> They're not going to yeah. buy a better player than me. Um, and then I can progress on to Europe. That is probably sneakily the most powerful thing we have going right now if we can get that one right because we do have you know the number one rated academy from double pass uh, in in the country um so 
that as that word spreads, um, people might not recognize that as a big advantage for us, um, but it's huge, man. If you get but it's like a it's like a to make a college football comparison, it's like a thing that keeps recycling itself. You know, Clemson exactly. Clemson wins. They send guys to the NFL. They see that guys are going to the NFL. More guys join the program, and the cycle recruiting, recruiting takes care yeah, of itself. Yeah, you, know, you don't yeah, need exactly. the, the big boosters doing the legal stuff or anything yeah. like that from the college football. Level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's it it it, it kind of sorts itself out in yeah. that regard. So, so yeah. now you have. You have the two I just mentioned, you know, the, the doing better in the playoffs for sure. Um, we, we got the perennial playoff team. You know, we're, we're in the mix now, I think, consistently. Um, the, the, the selling of players, the, the growth of the academy, you know, and, and the, the, the kind of proof of concept of the academy. Uh, and then ultimately, man, again, this year changed a lot of the thinking and I think got more buy-in from – from fans, I think it got more buy-in from even our own internal uh, people, uh, our own internal staff, our own internal players, where we go, we won a trophy. You know, we were the best team in the league for a season. Uh, that now is forever, and that is something that, you know, when every article gets written next year in the media, it'll be, you know, Supporter Shield winners, Philadelphia Union, or first place in the East, Eastern Conference champ, Philadelphia Union that will spread and that will help the thinking of the club uh, overall. So again, it, it, it seems like small steps and those seem like small things, but when they're written and they're, they're talked about in the press, uh, it, it grows the club in, in a way. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not LAFC and we're not sexy and shiny like they are. Um, but guess what? We're unique to what we do and, and it was successful. So um, that, that piece is huge. Uh, so again, the media in our own city has done an incredible job of, of increasing our exposure and telling our story. Um, but now it's being bought more by, uh, you know, the rest of uh, the media in, the, in our country and even in the world. I'm, I'm not being dramatic there, but people are talking about what we're doing. And then, uh, you know, lastly, to have other MLS teams say, we want to, the, the Vancouver guy, as an example, he comes out and says, we want to do it the Philadelphia Union way. We kind of pinch ourselves and go, geez, okay, we're on to something here, but let's not get comfortable because yeah, it can be yeah. gone. It can be gone in a second in this league. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the cruel thing about soccer. So we have to continue to work hard. We've got a lot of things to still improve, but, um, you know, I think all those things are, are moving us a little more forward and they might not seem like huge things, but um, ultimately the big goal is, is to win MLS cup and lift that trophy. Um, that would be the most special one. No, it's awesome. And look, I'm uh, congratulations on a, on a great season. And I'm, I'm happy for all you guys on a personal level, you know, of you and, and Chris and everybody who's been working really hard behind the scenes for, for many years now. I, I know that things were uh, <laughs> certainly interesting to start out and it was not always this way, but it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a testament to, to put in, installing that philosophy and, and uh, committing to it. And uh, I'm just glad to see, see you guys uh, reaping the rewards of that, you know, and hopefully uh, more success in the future. I appreciate it a lot, Kevin, and you've been with the team from, from day one. And, and again, it, you're doing a great job uh, in your field as well. And it, it's one of those things, man, if, it, if, if our jobs were easy, everybody would do it, right? So again, that's what we all fight for. We all try to move, move things forward. Uh, yeah. And again, it's been, uh, it's been positive, but there's still a lot of work to do, that's for sure. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on. Philadelphia Union head coach, Jim Carton. Thanks for coming on. Sorry it took 120 episodes for you to get here, but uh, you know, when you ever retire at some point, we'll get together and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do the book. All right. Yeah. I, I, I anticipated more beer being involved in this, but I guess it is in the afternoon. It so. is in the afternoon. I'm like technically kind of on the clock, kind of off okay, the clock right time. now. So we're just making it work. Jim, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Kev.